Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hurts, and tonight we are talking all things Monday Night Football and some waiver wire action ahead of Week 12. I hope everyone's having a fantastic week. We got Turkey Day coming up, in my opinion, the best holiday of the year, but got some fantasy football business to take care of first. So, a uh, slightly different schedule this week. Usually we come with, you know, a new show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, same thing Monday through Wednesday, but not going to have the usual guest pod on Thursday. Enjoy the day with your families or your friends or whoever the hell you want to enjoy the day with. And then on Friday, our usual Thursday night recap and injury pod will be coming out just a little bit later. Look for that around noon as opposed to the morning. So apologies for not keeping the usual schedule, but we'll be back on track uh, week 12 or excuse me, week 13 and beyond. But let's focus on Monday night football for now. A fun, kind of ugly, kind of drunk game, I guess, between the Rams and the Buccaneers. Just seemed like one weird thing was happened, uh, happening after another towards the end. But uh, Rams 27, Buccaneers 24. In the end, Jared Goff and company got the win. You know, it wasn't really for... Uh, lack of trying potentially with uh, some of those decisions that Sean McVay was making a little bit at the end. I mean, running the ball, you know, with Malcolm Brown on third and eight when you got, you know, a guy you're paying $35 million a year uh, to maybe throw a pass in a situation like that was interesting, but you know what? Uh, they got the win, so it is what it is. Uh, focusing first on the Buccaneers side of things. Yeah, Tom Brady did not go well, and this was a situation where, look, we've seen the Rams really just kind of defang many offenses throughout this entire year. They've been one of the league's best defenses all season long. PFS own Seth Galena wrote a great piece about them earlier this year, just about the way they're able to pretty much do this. And that is, I think, uh, just continuing to have so much uh, emphasis on their coverage while still being able to get a pass rush because Aaron Donald is a freaking madman and a monster and, you know... arguably the most, you know, just impactful non-quarterback in the entire league. So, you know, certainly have, you know, special players in that defense with Jalen Ramsey and, uh, you know, Aaron Donald, but it's just been impressive the way they've been able to, you know, face these really good offenses, the Buccaneers, the Seahawks, and just really make them look like a shell of themselves. So that really was the case in this one. I mean, Brady, you know, it wasn't like they were just had nothing going all game. I mean, they were spreading it around, moving up and down the field a little bit, but I mean, the touchdown to Mike Evans just had some absolutely wild yak, uh, ended up being, I think, 11 yards, but Evans carried in Troy Hill uh, from the six-yard line and then also later got to Chris Godwin who was wide open in the flat and then pretty much space jammed Air Jordan you know over a defender and was able to reach his arm freaking all the way out over the goal line to find the end zone so you know Brady threw two really bad picks uh, to kind of complement those touchdowns that again didn't really have all that much to do with him the first interception down the middle and tenor for Godwin just didn't see the backside safety coming over and second interception end of the game just overthrowing Cam Brate overthrowing Cam Brate for some reason under two minutes left you got all these receivers were targeting Cam Brate for whatever reason uh, overthrew him down the seam and was picked. So, again, not a good game for Tom, from Tom Brady by any stretch of the imagination. Did have one really fun play where he threw the ball. It was bad at the line of scrimmage. He caught it, and then he tried to throw it again. Obviously, that does not count in the NFL, but in the XFL, it would have counted. And for some reason, the NFL, because they declined the penalty or something like that, the officials decided to count that reception, I believe, as well for Tom Brady. So, funky game. Not sure how that happened, but, you know, Brady uh, wasn't the peak performance we were necessarily hoping for, uh, you know, just with all these weapons in the offense. So, look, this is you know, it's been a tough matchup for uh, the Buccaneers kind of in two of these three games where they've had all their weapons. Obviously, you know, had 46 points last week against the Panthers, and it looked like it could have been even more. But now with the Saints and Rams, you know, really shutting them down, it's been uh, interesting to see. But moving forward, they got the uh, Chiefs, and then they got a Week 13 bye, and they end the season with Vikings, Falcons, Lions, and Falcons. Like, oh my goodness, you could not dream of a better way for the Buccaneers to enter the playoffs and getting a bye, and then facing those four secondaries to kind of get 
get everything right, you know, during the finish playoffs and up into the real playoffs. So, you know, they could be going to this bye week with three or four losses, uh, you know, against the Saints, Rams, and Chiefs potentially, but that might just be a good time, you know, during that week 13 bye after that Chiefs out to consider buying, you know, at least maybe to win an NFC NFC uh, side or getting the Super Bowl sort of ticket because, again, Buccaneers, they got way too much talent, I think, to continue putting forward these sort of, you know, just underwhelming performances on offense. And, again, with that final stretch, uh, they really could be, you know, just making some noise right and, and peaking right at the right time. As they get into January, uh, this backfield was not, you know, a good game for them at all. Ronald Jones, 10 carries, 24 yards. Fournette, 7 carries, 17 yards. And you look at the snaps, I mean, Fournette played 25. Jones played exactly 25 uh, as well. So it was a situation where in past weeks, we've seen it kind of go 75-25 in one direction or the other. But in this one, it was split right down the middle. So we saw both guys, you know, kind of staying involved as uh, in the passing game as well, mostly Fournette. But by that, I mean Fournette dropped three freaking passes. You know, I, I kept seeing this thing throughout the entire offseason People will point out Fournette being this good receiver because he caught 76 passes last year for the Jaguars. Like, this is where, you know, I understand not everyone can watch every single game and all that, but this is where you got to be careful about, you know, just looking at box scores and looking at numbers and kind of trying to pass off uh, just judgments on a player's, you know, skill set and stuff. Because, again, you know, people like to say numbers don't lie, but sometimes you just got to take a l- little bit closer look underneath the hood, and that is what we're trying to give you uh, more times than not here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. But, yeah, rough game for uh, both. Both running backs really. Rojo wasn't able to create really anything uh, just in the open field or against defenders and Fournette. I mean, his only touchdown just came after uh, Mike Evans uh, got got him down to the one or two yard line in the first place. So, yeah, rough game from the running crew. Look, I think Rojo moving forward, he's going to continue to get the first chance uh, to, you know, run. It was just a tough matchup and we saw Aaron Donald and company just control the line of scrimmage against this run game. So, you know, it's going to be a situation where he's going to kind of keep being in that low-end, mid-tier RB2 range. You know, had a great game last week and we know that's in his range of outcomes, but Unfortunately, Leonard Fournette is not going anywhere. At least it's two backs instead of that three or four headed committee we were dealing with uh, for the better part of the last you know season and a half until the last few weeks. But either way, not the best situation uh, for those guys. With these receivers, Antonio Brown led the way with 13 targets, even though he only played uh, 36 snaps in this one. By the way, snap numbers are unofficial for now, but they should be you know updated and fairly deep into uh, the fourth quarter. Just something to keep an eye out for Monday if you see some slightly different numbers out there. But it was Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you know, in two wide receiver sets, and then they would take Antonio Brown out uh, when they really want to go with Brate and uh, Rob Gronkowski out there. But I mean, 13 targets caught eight of them for 57 yards, had a you know 50 yard bomb go just off his fingertips. It's back to back weeks. Were we're talking about the difference of one play, you know, kind of making being the difference between Antonio Brown having over 100 yards, maybe having a touchdown as well. I mean, this week, I don't think he would have scored even if he would have come down with a deep ball. But last week, uh, Brady just completely missed him on a downfield pass that, again, uh, would have been a good, easy 55-yard touchdown if he could have put it on him. So Brady deep ball has not looked good over these past few weeks. But, I mean, you look at earlier in the season to a midway point, it really was humming. So not something I'm too worried about yet. It's not like the ball's dying out there. He just hasn't been able to put the ball quite on his guys as well as he would have like to see so you know not something that we should necessarily expect to improve as things get colder and you know as Brady 43 year old Tom Brady continues to get older I'm not saying the deep balls you know do for a turnaround but I also don't think it's quite at the point where we need to you know be calling them noodle arm and just making fun of it too much we've still seen him hit a fair number of deep balls so throughout the season uh, just hasn't you know been on fire in these tough matchups over the past few weeks 
Chris Goblin had 10 targets, set, caught seven of them 53 yards. Evans had nine targets, caught five of them 49 yards. Second straight week, you know, with all these guys that we've just seen the passing game so condensed around their top three wide receivers. And unfortunately in this game, you know, we didn't see the super high end uh, range of outcome for anyone. But I think it's pretty clear that this Buccaneers offense is one of few in the league that can consistently enable three fancy relevant wide receivers. So kind of same thing in Pittsburgh. Like we're not going to get the overall ceiling that we would like for maybe uh, the passing game to flow through just one guy uh, f- further and away. But I think each of A.B., Goblin, Evans, I mean, they're going to continue to be at a minimum top 30 options every single week. And I think, you know, in better matchups where we can really expect Brady and company to have some success, we're going to be sliding all three of them in that top 24, top 25 range. So we're going to have some duds, but Brady is concentrating his target share enough around these three guys that each of A.B., Goblin, and Evans, despite, you know, this kind of up and down start uh, to their tenure together, I think all three of these guys are going to be wide receiver twos more often than not uh, moving forward. Rob Gronkowski, two catches on six targets, 25 yards. It's just kind of been the thing with him where, you know, Brady puts it right where it needs to be. Gronk's able to make something happen with it, but hasn't really been able to create all that much separation on his own. He'll continue to be a touchdown dependent tight end one. Moving on to the Rams. Credit to Sean McVay. You know, we were giving him some crap earlier about uh, the, the you know play calling and decision. Uh, uh, to just hand the ball to Malcolm Brown instead of passing in a critical moment. But otherwise, I mean, this was a great strategy against the best run defense in the league uh, by many metrics. And, you know, Goff went out there, threw the ball 51 times. We've been talking about on this podcast, I mean, the only reason why Cup and Woods haven't really had bigger seasons is because it's taken a lot to get Jared Goff to throw this often. I mean, this was commonplace in 2017, you know, 2018, even 2019 uh, for Goff to be, you know, flirting with these 50, 60 pass attempts. And we've started to see a little more in recent weeks, you know, before this game, he had 37 attempts, 61 against the Dolphins, uh, 33 against the Bears, and 38 against the 49ers. But in weeks one through five, like he never threw the ball more than 32 times. And there were even games, you know, against the Bills thrown in there where they were trailing a lot. So this was a game where the Rams got up and they kept staying up really through throwing. So, you know, they got Daryl Henderson, eight carries, K Akers five, Malcolm Brown three. They tried to run the ball a little bit more in the second half once they did uh, have that lead. But overall, you know, it was just Jared Goff airing the ball out. And I don't think he's going to be throwing the ball 50 times moving forward. But at a minimum, I think we can start to move Cup and Woods more into that, you know, top 16 range each as opposed to, you know, the top 24 uh you know for woods in particular it's been rough over the past few weeks of josh reynolds uh really butting his way in but we did not see that as much in this one you know it was all cooper cup in the first half i believe he had nine or ten of his you know 11 catches all in the first half just absolutely dominating and then it seemed like right when tiff and bay went to cover him more robert woods just take over that uh, took over that same role so um you know josh reynolds played 57 snaps i mean cup was at 44 and woods was at 58 so even though van jefferson had that you know goal line touchdown where he ran a nice isolation slant it wasn't like Reynolds you know had any fewer just snap opportunities than we're used to he just had six targets in this game so he's going to continue to be more of a boomer bust wide receiver four as opposed to cup and woods you know kind of being in those top 20 options at the position we just need to realize that, you know, it's going to be tough for this offense to probably have this much volume uh, moving forward. Reynolds could have had a slightly bigger game if he would have, uh, you know, come down with this one deep ball where he had a step, but would have had to be pretty nice uh, from Goff on that one to make it happen. Uh, checking out the other notes here. The Rams running backs, Daryl Henderson played 26 snaps. Malcolm Brown was at 24. Cam Akers at 11. Cam Akers caught a touchdown pass in the flat. It wasn't anything special, but it was. it's, actually, it's at least good to see them start to use uh, Cam Akers because 
because I'd like them to use, you know, the running back they decided to draft, uh, you know, among the first 100 picks. But at the same time, this is now, you know, since coming off their bye, they are clearly using Akers, Brown, and Henderson week to week. And because of that, we can't really get behind any of them as fantasy assets. We can live with two RB committees, not three or four. That's exactly what the Rams have been. Uh, and then with the tight ends, Higby caught four passes for 19 yards. Ever caught four passes for 27 yards. This is, you know, just a situation like Houston, like Minnesota, uh, you know, a little, little bit like Philly where we have two talented tight ends in the same offense. I know Ertz, Philly's a bad example. Like Minnesota, Houston, I'd even throw Seattle in there. We have talented tight ends all over the place in this offense, but when they're both out there, they eat into each other's targets too much and we just can't get, you know, a viable fantasy piece. So if Higby and Everett, if one of them misses time, we can fire up the other one's legit tight end one. Otherwise, they're, continu- they're going to continue to be uh, touchdown dependent tight end twos at best. So that's going to do it with this Monday Night Football recap. Before we get on to the waiver wire section, I just want to say, people, a lot of you reach out sometimes and say, Ian, love PFF. I'd love to get a subscription. Do you have a code for me? I do. What you need to do, everyone, is go to Monkey Knife Fight. And when you go to Monkey Knife Fight, you got to deposit $20. Use code PFF. And you will not only get a free PFF Edge subscription, which is a $40 value, but you'll also have the chance to turn that $20 into some uh, more money playing prop games, playing daily fantasy contests on Monkey Knife Fight, one of the fastest growing companies in the industry. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, uh, code PFF. Go get that free PFF Edge Subscription, $40 value, $420, and hey, might just make some more money along the way. All right, everyone, I want to talk some waiver wire goodness. There isn't a ton out there this week, but you know, I've gone through Yahoo, ESPN, just looked at you know some of the tr- transactions, who are other guys that are you know, under 50% owned, and uh, yeah, just to kind of give you guys my opinion on everyone. So just because I'm listing the person here doesn't mean I'm uh, you know recommending them, and I'm, I'm going to make that very clear. Don't worry about that. Uh, but just realize I'm trying to touch on bigger name guys so we can get a better idea of if you should be going after them or not. So to start off, we have Gus Edwards as probably the primary ad of the week if he is out there because both J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram have hit the COVID list. Incredibly unfortunate because it did look like Dobbins was going to finally be, you know, a usable RB2 and free from this three-back committee because last week, Dobbins played 63% snaps, had 15 carries and two targets. Gus was all the way down 21% had three carries, and Mark Ingram was at just 8% two carries. I mean, Justice Hill played more snaps than Mark Ingram last week. So, you know, to that point, it's not going to be only the Gus Edwards show. I mean, he never He's never had a game where he's caught more than two passes. They just don't really trust him as a receiver. And don't forget about Justice Hill. I mean, last year, he literally led this backfield in snaps in the AFC Divisional round uh, in that loss to the Titans. So... If we're looking at a Ravens offense that, you know, is facing a really good Steelers defense, hey, if they get behind early, you know, we actually could see Justice Hill just because of negative game script end up playing more snaps. But we also have more than enough evidence that, you know, the Ravens are comfortable giving Gus, uh, you know, a true RB1 workload. I mean, in 2018, before Mark Ingram was there, uh, they put in Gus with Lamar Jackson when they decided to make that switch. Following their buy, and Gus averaged 16.3 rush attempts uh, in his, I think, eight or nine games, including the playoffs with Lamar under center. And then week 17 last season with Ingram, you know, no, just uh, I think he had actually an ankle injury, but they weren't playing their starters anyway. Gus had 21 carries in that game on a 68% snap rate. So if the Ravens can play with a lead or just keep things close. Gus is going to be looking at 20 potential carries uh, in, in you know, combined targets. But if they get behind, I'm a little bit more worried. Could be more in that 12 to 15 range. So there's a little bit more of a floor than I think uh, we might realize. But either way, you know, being the lone running back in Baltimore, he is going to be 
you know, I haven't quite done my ranks yet. I would say he's going to be right in that kind of RB15, RB16 range. I would put him ahead of, you know, the Giovanni Bernards, the Duke Johnsons, the Salvin Ahmeds of the world, uh, of the world, you know, these guys that are, have been popping up recently. But I think Edwards, we have a little bit more evidence of him in this offense actually being a legit fantasy RB2 value. Um, I would also just note real quick, if you see someone drop Dobbins, you know, just because of this situation, pick him up because we don't, you know, we've seen some of these COVID issues. Obviously, every case is different, but, you know, for all we know, he could be ready to go by Friday or Saturday and only miss this one week. And then we have the Ravens starter, uh, you know, from week uh, 13 on. So definitely go get Gus Edwards. I'm fine. You know, hey, it's fantasy playoffs coming up. If you need a win, I do think Gus Edwards is probably uh, your main guy to get the most points this week. I will say if you really want more production down the road, there's another running back I would turn to, and that is Mr. James White. Uh, we're expecting Rex Burkhead to miss a good chunk of time. I didn't see if he's officially been placed on the injured reserve list yet, but really didn't look good uh, when it happened. And, you know, at, at a minimum, we are expecting Burkhead to miss an extended period of time. And, you know, wouldn't be all that shocking if he's, uh, you know, ultimately ruled out for the rest of the season. So we'll see there again, recording this on a Monday night. So once we kind of get... Uh, the you know practice notes and just injury reports and all that will have a better idea. But for now, it does appear like James White is going to be this lead pass down back. And that's really all it's taken for James White over these past few years is to get Rex Burkhead out of the picture. He's had 38 games with Rex Burkhead since uh, he came to the Patriots in 2017. In those 38 games, White's averaged 11.3 PPR points on only 5.3 targets. And 15 games without Burkhead, White has averaged 16.6 PPR points and 8.6 targets. So an additional 3.3 uh, targets game from James White. I get it. Tom Brady, different offense, different year. We can't, you know, make these just exact assumptions. He's going to have uh, the same sort of target bump. But, you know, like last week, Rex went down fairly early. James White led the backfield in snaps. And it was a game that, you know, the Patriots, okay, they were playing from behind a little bit at the end, but it was, you know, a competitive game throughout and pretty much a neutral game script uh, throughout. So had a season high nine targets in that. You know, earlier this year against the Broncos, he had eight catches for 65 yards. So it's not like he's just been a complete waste of space, you know, without Brady in action. Uh, we just haven't seen any touchdowns yet and again when Rex Burkhead is there uh, we just don't see either him or James White uh, have all that much consistency so I think removing Rex Burkhead from the picture I mean it's going to make James White arguably the number one pass game option uh, in New England here moving forward just in terms of raw targets you know okay we're going to see Jacoby Myers and we're going to see Demir Bird have their weeks as well but Patriots offense in recent weeks, especially Cam Newton, they are looking better. So, you know, James White, not just your everyday pass down back. You know, they love him in New England. They're going to uh, just scheme him targets as it is. And even if we're not going to get these, you know, 10-plus target games that we might see uh, in an extreme negative game script, I still think more weeks than not, uh, as long as Burkhead remains sidelined, uh, we can count James White in for, you know, eight to 10 combined uh, carries and targets. And that's a pretty good uh, workload to have potentially sitting out there on your waiver wire uh, with the Houston Texans. So Kenny Stills has a quad injury, but more importantly, Randall Cobb has a toe injury and he is expected to miss some time. So it looks like Kiki Cootie will be elevated. I'm pretty much out on Kiki. He's fine. I mean, look, his first game as a rookie, he had 11 catches for 109 yards, had another 110 yards and a touchdown on 11 more catches in the playoffs. So we've seen him put together some decent performances, but look, I mean, last week, four targets, two catches, 10 yards, one score he's Randall Cobb in this offense that he's the backup for Randall Cobb he's their slot wide receiver so you know before when Kiki was having these good games it was when Will Fuller would get hurt and then he'd be elevated and he'd really be the passing game's number two option behind DeAndre Hopkins new offense that's not the case anymore he is locked in as the number three option behind Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks we've seen Cobb have some okay games but ultimately he's had six or fewer targets in all but one game this year I wouldn't expect that to really change for Kiki hey you know Deshaun Watson he played in my opinion the be his best game 
of the year against the Patriots. He's been playing better than ever, despite not having Hopkins. He's spreading the ball around more. Maybe we see, uh, you know, Kiki be, get around those six to eight targets per week. I don't think he will. I think it's going to be more four to six targets per week, and they're going to be lower average target depth, not as fancy friendly as the store looks Fuller and Cooks are getting. So, hey, if you're really desperate and you need someone, you just want a receiver, you know, out there running around with Deshaun Watson under center. I mean, there's worse guys out there, uh, that's for sure. But Kiki would not be someone I'd be prioritizing on the waiver wire at all, just considering, again, he is a number three pass game option uh, in his offense in any given week at best. Next guy, Ryan Finley replacing uh, Joe Burrow. So if you listen to uh, the Monday podcast where I broke down every game, I mentioned that I really did, uh, if I remember correctly, think that Finley was the single worst quarterback in the NFL by both my, by uh, most metrics over these past two seasons. And my memory served me correctly because 59 QBs have thrown at least 50 passes in 2019 and 2020. Uh, in PFF passing grade, Ryan Finley ranks dead last, 59th. In yards per attempt with 5.2, he is 58th. Adjusted completion rate, he is at 56%, which is also dead last at 59th. QB rating, he, he rises all the way back up to 55th if that's your thing. So do not pick up Ryan Finley. He is going to tank this Bengals offense. I don't know other than kind of Giovanni Bernard if I'm excited to play anyone from this group moving forward. That includes Tyler Boyd. We just don't know what is going to go on with Finley's target distribution. And we do know that he's not going to be very good with whatever he's working with. I mean, Joe Burrow had one of the league's quickest release times. And he was still getting pressured at one of the highest rates. I mean, it's no coincidence that once he left, Ryan Finley came in and couldn't do freaking anything against the Washington football team and you look at this you know kind of ending schedule for the Bengals they got an underrated Giants defense you know on deck in week 12 they had to go into Miami in week 13 then they get the Cowboys and then we got the Steelers Texans and Ravens to finish things off just not you know an offense I think we should have any sort of high expectations for uh, wouldn't be shot at all if we just almost see them roll over more weeks than not I just think Finley probably is that bad at this point there's just nothing around him to even somewhat help uh, the situation unfortunately it had to come out like this but yeah, other than Giovanni Bernard, it's just, you know, a volume-based borderline RB2. I think we're better off staying away for at least week 12 and probably longer in Cincinnati. Uh, so with the Atlanta Falcons, I spent like a good 15 minutes of the Monday night game, you know, just soaring over Twitter looking for Christian Blake and Alamide Zacchaeus news because Julio Jones bothered by his hamstring injury. We've seen Matt Ryan, you know, actually kind of feature one of these auxiliary guys when that happens. And I wanted to kind of figure out who it's been because we've seen it kind of jump between the guys over the past few weeks. And so in the first three games without Julio, it was uh, Olamide who was starting with Julio down. But then last week, Christian Blake got the job after Julio only played 21% of the snaps. And then in week nine, though, without Calvin Ridley, it was uh, Zacchaeus uh, getting the run as well. So really, you know, we've had five overall instances, I guess, of one of Julio and Ridley uh, being down. And uh, Zacchaeus has been the guy in four of those instances, Christian Blake only in the most recent one. It could be because Zacchaeus was limited last Friday with a knee injury, but he didn't have an injury designation. Designation. He was out there, but, you know, Blake was getting the run ahead of him. So this Raiders matchup is juicy, but I think we're probably going to want to stick to DFS you know, versus season long, I'm wanting too much exposure because one, it's it's tough, everyone. I don't have a good feel for if it's going to be Blake or Zacchaeus. Gun to my head, I would think it's Zacchaeus and maybe that knee injury was it. But again, it's tough because Christian Blake was the guy last week. Ultimately, I think we're better off trusting Ridley uh, and Gage if we want to go back to the well. But even then, I mean, the Raiders defense, not one to fear, but we look at Matt Ryan in four games without either with Julio out or limited to fewer than 50 snaps this year. He's up for 238, 285, 226, and 
232 yards, just one touchdown in those four games versus four interceptions. So I'm not bashing Matt Ryan. You know, you look at this whole offense and they're one injury away pretty much everywhere from, ha- you know, staring at just a troubling lack of depth. So I think it's more team building than anything. But yeah, you know, we've seen it with Stafford and Detroit. We saw it with Minshew without Chark earlier this year. We see it all over the place. You take away incredibly talented receivers out of an offense and the quarterback suffers. That's what we've seen from Matt Ryan. So, you know, I think probably the answer to what to do with this uh, Falcons offense while uh, Julio is out, you know, Matt Ryan's still going to be, you know, on that Q- uh, QB1 borderline in this juicy of a matchup that d- just screams shootout. But, you know, m- most start sick questions with Matt Ryan. If there's someone else you got in the top 12, I would probably go with them. You know, Gurley's going to be probably facing, you know, fewer scoring opportunities just with the lesser ceiling of the offense. And then we got Calvin really wide receiver one season never ends, but behind him just could be pretty risky. So Hayden Hurst, maybe the biggest beneficiary here. Other than that, I would be staying away when possible from this Falcons offense as long as Hewlett remains sideline. Uh, Giants running back Wayne Gallman's another popular candidate. I think he's going to be pretty solid for at least uh, week 12. So Devontae Freeman will miss at least another week uh, while he's on the injury reserve list with the ankle injury. Seemed like he was coming back and then re-aggravated the injury right before uh, they got in the game. So Gallman has scored five times in his last four games, even though he's been losing early down work and pass down work to Alfred Morris and Deion Lewis, respectively. So look, Daniel Jones leads this offense in rushing yards. Like this has been really an atrocious unit all season long, but Gallman has just rather inexplicably been finding the end zone uh, recently. So last time we saw him in week 10, Gallman played, you know, a solid 58% snaps, 18 carries, two targets, but Alfred Morris, 22% with eight carries himself and Deion Lewis, 19% uh, with two targets. So Gallman, he's a Volume-based RB2, the fact that they are facing the Bengals and they should be able to play with a positive game script really does Gallman a lot of favors. You know, I, I don't know if it'd be a different matchup if I'd feel this way about him, but I do think, you know, the, the cards are laying out nicely for Wayne Gallman to get, you know, 15 to 20 carries again with a couple targets in a matchup that the Giants should be winning. So, you know, Gallman, he's going to be someone that I think could actually be a sneaky play in those, uh, you know, t- among the top 15, top 16 running backs. If he's out there on the waiver wire, I definitely think he's a quality RB, RB2 star this week and potentially beyond. Now we got three more situations to talk about everybody. 49ers tight end Jordan Reed. So his first game off IR, he only played 13 snaps. But then the next game, he had 44% snaps, caught five of six targets for 62 yards, and that lost to the Saints. So now he's had another bye uh, to get healthy. And look, Jordan Reed's on that upside tight end two radar. We've seen him look healthy this year. I would say, you know, earlier in the year when he had a nice game against the Jets, there were just all sorts of injuries. And, you know, with Raheem Mostert coming back and Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk finally seemingly uh, getting healthy. You know, we'll see his status on some of these guys here again once we get the injury reports and all that but I think uh, you know upside tight end two is probably about as far as we should go with Jordan Reed but he's a legit option you know again the first game off IR that was really troubling but to see the snaps come back get that bye week to you know get healthier I think it's solid so they're facing the Rams next week I try to look elsewhere I know the Rams had some you know excuse me the 49ers had some success against the Rams earlier this year but as we saw tonight you know with the Rams versus the Buccaneers last week when they were playing the Seahawks just not really the defense that we're going to want to take too many uh, shots on you know with auxiliary components of their offense. I want to talk about the Raiders because Nelson Aguilar just stays balling. Just realized it has been, you know, boom or bust, you know, kind of story of Aguilar's career to some extent, but m- much more boom than busting in 2020 for sure. So since week three, Aguilar has been starting. He scored in five of eight games. The other three, he had two catches for 32 yards, a goose egg and one catch for eight yards, no scores uh, in those three games. So, you know, the surprising note for me is that Aguilar was someone that we talked about on this podcast, you know, more in with the week five, week six range when it was clear he was playing more and he had this big play upside, but we knew Brian 
Edwards will be back at some point. He's back, but he only played nine snaps last week. So, you know, the amount of hype surrounding Brian Edwards all throughout the offseason, like, I'm sorry if you're a Brian Edwards stand sitting out there right now because, you know, watching watching Nelson Aguilar steal your guy's thunder, ooh, that's, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. But, you know, we got to swallow it. We got to look on and we got to realize that this is suddenly a fantasy-friendly passing game for a wide receiver to be a part of. Carr's deep ball rate since Henry Ruggs returned in the lineup uh, in week five is 14.7%. That's fit at the position over the past seven weeks ahead of the guys like Matt Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, even freaking Josh Allen. So on the season, Derek Carr, you know, PFF's seventh highest graded passer and QB 16 total fantasy points through 11 weeks. Volume's a hurdle. I mean, if they get up a lot, we're going to see Josh Jacobs and even uh, Devontae Booker just getting fed uh, carries. But, you know, Falcons, the league's single worst defensive fantasy points per game. I think Derek Carr, who's out there, can be a legit QB1 streaming option that, you know, you should be starting over really a good chunk of the league. I believe I have him ranked as my QB 12 or QB 13 ahead of this matchup. And Aguilar, if you want to start the guy, if you want to expect a boom week, this is the spot to do it against this Falcons defense. Just realize, again, there's not too many guarantees for the Raiders other than Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs. Uh, Final note, Michael Pittman. So, you know, we talked about on this podcast. I don't want to keep hating on Michael Pittman every time we get on here, but I just see some people saying he's, you know, established himself as the alpha and he's the clear number one option in Indy. Like, what? He's been starting since their week seven bye. Even before then, he had several games with over 50% snaps. Yeah, he's been coming on recently, but I mean, look, he had five games with more than 50% snaps before week 10 and was scoreless with under 60 yards in each. I understand that, you know, it's possible and okay for rookies to get better as the season progresses. But, you know, look, four games since the week seven bye, which seems like a pretty fair cutoff. You know, I'm not just going to take specifically the last two weeks when, again, he's been starting uh, this whole time. Zach Pascal, 20 targets, Pittman, 19. Naeem Hines, 17. Marcus Johnson, 14. Trey Burton, 14. T.Y. Hilton, 13. Mo Alley-Cox, 12. And Jonathan Taylor, 10. Phillip Rivers is spreading the ball around more than anybody. You know, our PFF Lilly stat of the Colts matchup was the reality that the Colts and the Ravens are the only two teams in the league without multiple games of feeding anybody even 10 targets. So it's a Colts offense that wants to run the ball. When they get behind, they're forced to throw the ball. But Pittman... Look, he's one of the guys out there, and I won't deny that he's not the best wide receiver in Indianapolis. He certainly, you know, looks that way, but it's still not the situation. It's not like a Justin Jefferson or even a C.D. Lamb. Like, you know, for me, like when I look at these wide receivers, and I understand I'm not, you know, the world's greatest talent evaluator or anything like that. I'm a freaking fancy football analyst. I'm not a scout, but you know, looking at Michael Pittman, his big plays, he's not being guarded on crossers. Like, literally, I think a hundred of his yards over the past two weeks have been on two plays where he wasn't guarded at all. He caught a crosser and he looked great running down the field because guess what a lot of NFL athletes when they're not guarded and they can get ahead of steam are going to look great running down the field so you know Pittman hey he, he's he's found opportunities to run downfield more than just about anyone else in this offense but only two games from this receiving group all year with more than 75 yards Pittman has one of them Marcus Johnson has the other one like I think Pittman is probably my bet to lead the team in receiving every week but I just don't think even that role is you know enough to really warrant this high-end fancy consideration so you know like, would injuries help this target share? I don't think so. Rivers, he's going to keep spreading the ball around. Pittman's going to need to keep making the most out of these yak opportunities because, you know, we haven't seen just this, you know, route running goodness able to just create, you know, constant separation like a Jerry Judy. We haven't seen, you know, just elite contested ball skills or anything like that. So to me, the production has been a little bit fluky. The usage has been fine, but nothing that we should be really freaking out about. And it's in a passing game that I just want nothing to do with. So let someone else, you know, use all their fab on Michael Pittman, even if you're 
you're able to get him, you know, for free or just upgrade a bench spot, like he's just not someone we're going to be looking to start more weeks than not unless you know you're in one of these deeper leagues. So, hey, maybe the rookie proves me wrong and he's really just about to come on. But I just think that, you know, might be more of a situation where, you know, Coles have played the Packers and on primetime the week before. I think we might just be overreacting a little bit to an awfully small sample size. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, to, for listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at iHeartIt. So, uh, you know, I'll be sending out these episodes every morning and also got some content in the form of writing on the way every week as well. So thank you again for listening. I'm Ian Hart. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. Yeah.